Welcome to the RLT Pivot Podcast, where each week we discuss a trading topic in a way that will provide encouragement, inspire growth, vanquish fears, offer solutions, and take you to the next level in your trading journey. So get ready as we dive in right now. Yeah, no, no, it's all right. But if, if so, how would you describe your trading? Is it more based on technicals? Because I know on no free market prep, you obviously you guys are covering news, what's happening, yeah. where you see the markets going. How much of that do you account for in your your trading, or at least worst case, what stocks to look at? Um, information arbitrage, a lot of information arbitrage. What that means is taking information that's publicly available, whether it be through Benzinga Pro or Bloomberg or wherever you're getting it and then analyzing it and coming up with, you know, conclusions from that information. I mean, it can be as simple as, okay, the stock is upgraded. It's been in the gutter. That's probably going to kickstart this stock. It might be as simple as that, or it can be more complicated than this whole, you know, political situation we've got going on with China right now, you know, Pelosi going to visit Taiwan, not advisable. I mean, this is going to piss China off. And if that's the case, you know, they could take repercussions. And I think the market is pricing in none of that. It's just, you know, oblivious to it because we continue to go up here the last few days, despite it looked like Pelosi going to go and visit Taiwan, which is going to break down US-China relationships, almost guaranteed. So what does that mean for a supply chain? What does that mean for all of this stuff? You know, is it pricing any of that in? That's not even on the radar of the news right now because the news, the market prices and stuff is a season on the news, but the news is always behind. The news is always, you know, looking for the reason that the market, you know, the stock is moving. It's behind. So, I mean, if you can figure out ahead of the news, like, I mean, the COVID thing, take us back to that. I mean, that writing was on the wall for months. So I can take you back to, um, you know, if you're listening to pre-market prep in January of 2020, I was scared to death of this shine, the virus that was happening in Wuhan. And I was like, I'm like, this is coming here. I'm like, I was warning my friends and they were laughing at me. But I'm like, you know, this is coming. And I was stocking up and I literally was going to the, you know, I remember sending my wife to Costco and I'm like, you got to load up here because we're going to end up like in lockdown or something because they've done this in Wuhan. I'm like, go and buy, you know, just a pile of stuff. She comes back with 300 bucks worth of stuff. And I was like, 300 bucks worth of stuff. I'm like, that's going to get us through a week. I'm like, I'm talking about we're in trouble here. I'm like, go take $5,000 and go buy hard foods. Like, and put them on your shelf. I'm not joking. And so we took off, uh, we took all our books off our bookshelves and we took off all this and, you know, we just piled up and, and loaded up because we didn't know what we were getting into. You know, we didn't know what the death rate of COVID was. You can say, oh, you know, this was, you know, just stupid. But in hindsight, looking back at it, it was just being savvy because you didn't know how many, you didn't know what to believe in China. We didn't know if the death rate was going to be high on this. We didn't know if they were going to keep us in lockdown. We didn't know anything. So I was very nervous about the markets and the markets were sitting up near all time highs. And I can remember I have my long-term portfolio and I never buy insurance, but I was like, I was buying puts and the puts were cheap. Like they were dirt cheap back in January, 2020. People were not pricing in any of this because the market's oblivious to it. It doesn't price in anything. It's dumb. So um, I remember buying spy puts and I remember buying puts on the airlines and puts on the cruise lines and like puts on all this stuff. And I, I remember I went too short because I thought it was coming and I went to Feb. So this was like January. I went to the February expiration. Well, the, well the, my, all my airline puts, my cruise line puts, all expired worthless because I was too early on the train. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going out to June. I'm like, this thing's going to be here by June. So I, I lost on the whole first round of puts I bought. 
this is, you know, be pre-COVID. And obviously we know the market fell 35% coming up in March, but I went all the way out to June and I loaded up the puts and those hit. So I remember I bought like 320 spy puts for like six bucks or something for June. I closed those things out at 60, 60 in like March. So, I mean, and that was the hedge against my long-term portfolio, but I'd sold a lot of my long-term portfolio. I went up to high end of cash and then I'm day trading it too. So I'm like, you know, playing it on that side too. So March, 2020 was my best month since probably the financial crisis. It was a really good trading month for me with the markets going straight down. But I mean, I stayed bearish too long and then, you know, I didn't get my portfolio back and the market started to rip after that. So long story short, you can have opinions and sometimes they're gonna be right or they're wrong. But what I wanna to get to the point is everybody thinks the market is efficient and it's not because it was pricing in none of that risk. Whoever is selling me insurance on SPY for six bucks going out to June is not looking at the situation in China whatsoever at the time. And obviously the markets fell and they fell 35% in March. So, I mean, that was a significant fall in three weeks. You know, we were down one day, 2000 down points. So there's opportunities if you're just looking at the information that's publicly available. So do you feel like the markets will always correct to what the news might or what's going on in the world? I think so. It's just late. Yeah, it, it does. It figures it out eventually. And then it's just late. It's like the interest rates. I mean, we knew we were going into a rising interest rate environment. Yet in November, December, they were still buying stocks. Right. We're still kicking up near all time highs. I mean, what are people thinking? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, and I always say this on the pre-market prep show. I'm always early. I'm, I'm just have this. I'm early. You know, it's better be early than late, but I'm often too early. And I'm probably early on this other China situation here right now, too. But you know, it, if the writing's on the wall and it's an obvious trade, sometimes positioning yourself can have some uh, be advantageous for yeah. you. So November, December, obviously, you know, we, you know, we had a rising interest rate environment, markets kept going up, but eventually, you know, you get into this rising interest rate environment where they're raising interest rates up to catch up with inflation. Eventually, you know, stocks are going to start to fall. And that's what we yeah. saw. You know, I, I have to, I'm early too. Okay. And I, I I've been looking at, all of COVID, and my husband and I have talked yeah. about this many times, it's, you see all the CERB payments that are coming out, people, the government paying people to stay home, doing all of this stuff. Yeah. And the question that you have to ask yourself is who's paying for this? And there, yeah. exactly, there has to be a consequence to whatever, because it, 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 there's, for every action, there's another opposite and equal action. It, it, it just happens that way. So when you're looking back at 2020, 2021, and the markets are continuing to go up, people are staying home, they're getting money from the government. It's obvious. It's so obvious that there's going to be a, a payback at some point here. And we're going to be put into a place where there's going to be inflation. There's going to be government printing money. There's going to be all of these things that are going to have to cover the costs of what we've been in for the last two years. And for us to just cover our eyes and think that that's not an issue, um, I think is negligent, if not silly on our part to not be considering some of those, those things. Right. And I guess the problem is, is how do you time the, the market? How do you time when that payback is going to happen? Cause I remember even the big short yeah. watching the big short and he yeah. could see that financial crisis yeah. coming and he sat getting margin call, margin call, margin call going, what is going Probably. wrong? The market's still going up, mm -hmm. but it should come down. And eventually it hit, but he had the pockets to hang on long enough to, to do it. So, you know, how do you, how do you improve the timing? I think that's the main thing. One, one, one you're never going to get time perfectly and it's better to be early than late, 
But two, having the pockets to be able to do it means don't get yourself so big, like margined out on the short mm -hmm. side that you're all of a sudden, even though I'm making that bet against Bear Stearns, I'm not going all in. And look at my setup. I was like, what is my risk first? I always look at the trade. What am I risking? What is my possible return? Always looking at the risk first. <laughs> so in that case, I was like saying, okay, I think this Bear Stearns go down. My maximum gain would be 100% if the thing collapsed, obviously. Um, but, you know, my maximum risk I was looking at was 625 mm -hmm. So, I mean, always analyzing that from the risk reward perspective. I mean, that's why sometimes if you've got a really bearish lease on the market, maybe you do buy puts if puts are cheap enough. Maybe you're shorting stocks. Maybe you're doing a hedge trade. We could get into the relationship-based trading maybe with this conversation. But a lot of times, you know, I'm just trading, a, you know, I'll put on, you know, a bearish bet, but then maybe I'll hedge it with, you know, some type of a bullish bet or something else. So, you know, trying to stay that market neutral point. So I think there's a big difference. Like there's basically three types of trading. You know, overall, if you want to just group it all, there's day trading and short term trading. There's like medium term, which you call swing trading, some call it position trading. And then there's like long term investing. So keeping those all separate as a trader is sometimes difficult. I mean, if you are, you know, you got your day job and you're just, you know, throwing in, you know, your hundred bucks a week or two weeks into your long term investment account and just ETF. I mean, that's a good way to build long term wealth. We I'm a trader, though. I don't have a day job. I have to rely on my alpha extraction from the market to pay the daily bills. So, you know, so that's, you know, so I've got to separate that. Sometimes I'll go and protect my long-term investment portfolio like I did during the COVID uh, crisis that we had in January. And, and then obviously it came to roost in, in March of 2020. But, you know, other times I'm just looking at the inefficiencies and trading stocks against each other, you know, and, and trading news as well. I mean, the headlines like right now, there's probably going to be, you know, if you're just betting, there's probably going to be a breaking headline here coming in the next few days about something with China that they're, you know, Pelosi actually does visit Taiwan, that probably China's going to say something that's going to obviously uh, be threatening to the U.S. in some way, in some manner, I'm not saying that they're going to you know, uh, go to war with us, but I'm saying, you know, they, they could escalate, you know, the trade war to a certain extent. There could be other things happening. There's going to be repercussions if Pelosi goes to Taiwan. Hmm. So those headlines, just anticipating a negative headline coming from something in China, could be a tradable event. And then if you're ready for that headline and say, I think, you know, something like this could happen, when it breaks, you're already set up and ready to pounce. So sometimes you can actually wait for the headline. And then obviously, you know, you're trading, you know, right in the price discovery process of it because you're prepared for that headline. So a lot of time, I would say some of my trading is just probably headline preparation, you know, getting ready for what could potentially be a headline. Sometimes they're out of the blue, and then you obviously have to adjust for that. But a lot of times the major political headwinds, the writing has been on the wall for weeks ahead of them. So being prepared for that is probably, you know, the biggest aspect of, you know, being successful in trading that. So the timing of it can be tricky. But sometimes you can wait even till the headline if you're prepared for it. Right. This is this is great. Now you've mentioned a few times relationship trading. Can you explain exactly what you mean by that? Um, so you could take it back to classic Paris trading. I mean, Rob Friesen, Bright Trading, has, you know, and obviously um been very involved with Paris trading for a long time. Um, you can take it back. It's called statistical arbitrage, really. You're looking at one stock versus another stock and what are their relationships to each other. The whole entire market is built on relationships. Like, and you could say in the, in the, in the eased, easiest, easiest example, 4GM, obviously two stocks in the automotive industry, they're going to correlate with 
one another. The banks, you got Bank America and you got Citigroup and you got, you know, and then you've got Goldman Sachs and you got Morgan Stanley, maybe a little more grouped together. Um, you've got your oil stocks, Exxon, Chevron, Conoco are all going to move together. So those are relationships. But then you have in relationships across sectors where, you know, you've got obviously interest rates affect the banks. So you can look at on any given day, if the TLT is trading strong, the banks are likely to be weak that day. Other things being equal, meaning that, you know, there's no individual news on those stocks that, you know, just if this was the only event, the TLT is going to put, if it's strong, it's going to put downward pressure on the banks. Obviously that's interest rate related. So, I mean, just knowing the intricacies of those little relationships gives you an edge over everyone else because your average trader doesn't even understand that relationship. So, you know, that, and that's what taking the time in the first six months to a year, just understanding how everything is interconnected. You know, we're not talking about coming and being a high frequency trader and doing ARB SPY versus, you know, S&P futures, you know, because the, the high frequency traders have that whipped. But, you know, there's a lot of other relationships they don't have whipped. And, you know, anything that's like pure arbitrage now, you know, your virtues and your citadels have kind of got that whipped. But I mean, there's still opportunities for you as traders on the relationships that are a little bit, they're correlated, but they're just not one, you know, so they're not perfectly correlated. So just understanding how everything is interconnected will give you an edge over everyone. I would say the majority of my trading, and I would say probably, especially the day trading, 90% of it is based on relationships where one, I'm getting long one stock because another stock is doing this. I mean, oil's down, airlines typically up. In this environment, it might change because, you know, maybe stocks are all moving together as the VIX comes higher, but as the VIX comes lower, those relationships become more pronounced. So, you know, where obviously oil, oil prices going higher is not good for airlines. So, and you can see it over the course of time, as oil is weaker, airlines will be stronger. So, I mean, there's, you know, those relationships to go into too, but then you can just go like, even after COVID, we were doing these lockdown stocks versus, you know, so there's new relationships, you know, that are always developing. We're lockdown stocks or stay at home stocks or, or reopening stocks versus stay at home stocks. That was all fun too, because that was all new relationships where the algorithms weren't programmed for it yet. And there was all kinds of alpha to extract them. Now, for, totally. for new traders, because over time you start to, to really start to understand, like you said, if oil is, is down, airlines most likely should be up, right? Or even cruise ships or things like that. Yep. But it, with yep. if I was a new trader just coming into the market, how would I start to learn? Where, where would I go to, to start to really understand how things correlate to each other? Like your sources of that information? Yeah, as, as far as, is it just more put the time into the market? Is there somewhere that, that you Yeah, like it's understanding. I mean, I've got, you know, here, and, and you know, it's all kinds of different, you know, scenarios, but it's doing your homework. It's knowing what's coming up. I mean, the one thing that I probably do, you know, well, we'll just take it away from relationships for a second here. But the one thing that I do well is I know what's coming up this week, which companies are reporting earnings, which companies are going ex-dividend, what's the major political uncertainty this week? What is, you know, the driver? Who's driving the bus this week? You know, what is the sector that's driving the bus? Last week, it was big tech earnings. This week, I believe it's going to be China. Um, you know, I think it's going to be later in the week, but I think it's coming. I mean, you know, who's going to be on mad money? I mean, because Kramer is influential. So what's he going to be talking about? You know, there's so many different, you know, stuff that, you know, is out there that you can get informed with, you know? So typically what I do is, you know, when I'm starting on my Friday night, I write down all the major companies that are reporting next week in the day. So you'd like this week, there's like a thousand companies reporting. So you're not going to write them all down, but I'm going to know that AMD is reporting tomorrow night. 
I'm going to know that, you know, CVS is reporting on Wednesday. I'm going to know Thursday is cloud day. You know, probably 99% of day traders don't realize Thursday is cloud day. It is. Cloud stocks are all reporting to Twilio, Datadog, Hubs, Team, Net. I mean, there's Skyworks, Squares in there. It's a big day, you know, to know that, hey, there's going to be those stocks. There tends, here's a strategy for you in itself. There tends to be a positive flow upwards. Uh, 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 you can just say, you know, buying into reports as people anticipate that, hey, this company might be doing good. So you'll see that, you know, positive bias. I'll try to extract alpha from just that, that, that slow, steady climb that often stocks do ahead of their reports. So for instance, you know, like we've got AMD reporting, we've got PayPal reporting tomorrow night. I was on both those stocks through the weekend. Both of those stocks gapped higher this morning and I was able to extract alpha just from those. So, and I mean, there's no news on those. Actually, I think PayPal might've had some news, but- um, I think AMD but, has you know, the uh, chip bill as well, right? AMD- Well, in that too. So there's a whole nother, exactly. So that's a whole nother you know, thing to consider. Maybe you wanna be long chips right now, but they've had a good run. So is it gonna be a rug pull on the news, buy on rumors, sell on news? But I love buying ahead of the catalyst not necessarily knowing the direction, maybe selling right before the catalyst hits because you don't know if there's going to be a rug pull on it. But you know when you have a catalyst coming, a lot of times there's that upward bias going into the catalyst, and that's where you can extract more predictable alpha. After the fact, it's it's a it's a guess because you know maybe they come out with the good earnings. You know you might be long and report going to report. They come out with the good earnings and they pull the rug out from under and sell the stock off on good earnings. That can happen, or they buy the stock on bad earnings. We saw that happen over the course of this earnings season. So. You know, earnings is always a crapshoot, but what's not a crapshoot is that there's usually a positive, some uh, a, a bias on those stocks going into it. Just like dividend, like knowing what, you know, is going to pay an X, or go X dividend. 18 team Verizon tend to be very strong ahead of their X dividend dates and a week after. So I'm a, I'm, I know those relationships and I will extract alpha from those relationships. So I'm employing lots of little bets, you know, never going all in on one stock. Lots of little bets, little bets, little bets across a variety of different strategies to extract consistent yep. and, alpha. And, and I think that's a lot. Of, gotcha. I actually did something yeah, similar. I, I think that's, that's a lot of the- I uh, actually did something. The uh, misconception, I think, in the market where, where traders that are getting started or just beginning, they, they want to have the million dollar account to trade with today, right? They, it, It's even, even somebody like yourself doing yeah. this for 25 years, it's still not, there's never that all in play where yeah. you put your chips all in the center of the table. It, it's not poker, right? It is just, just developing right. habits. No, because you know what can happen? It, it, you, you could have one event. So, so rule of thumb for me is I never usually put more than I would say 5%, and it's probably more like 2% of my trading accounts value into any one given stock because stuff can happen. I was short sell gene. I'm short sell gene the day it got taken over. You know, that sucks when that happens. But, you know, and, I, and obviously, um, you know, that's a number of years ago. Was it three years ago? But, you know, you short sell gene gets taken over. So I remember I was short over the weekend. It was $63. I'm probably shorted off of, you know, some type of statistical arbitrage play, just an overnight trade, not a long-term short, just happened to be shorted because I might have 50 or hundred overnight positions, just happened to be shorted. And I'm looking at 65 and then 70 and then 75, 80, all in a matter of minutes. I'm like, what the hell? And then you see the headline, like, oh my gosh, it's getting taken over. I'm like, this sucks. So what do you do? You eat it. I'm like, I'm trying to just, you know, I'm looking at the price. I'm like, okay, I'm eating this. You know, I'm you know, not going to hold and hope it comes back down. You know, it's getting taken over here. It's the headlines there. So you eat it and you move on. But if I had was all in on that bet, you know, it's a good way to like lose a lot of your trading account. I think I lost two days of trading off of that. 
point because I probably only had like one or one percent or two percent of my trading account in it. So and maybe even less than that. But I remember thinking it's like it's going to take a few days to make up. So it was just you know, you know an unlucky trade that you're short a stock. I mean, it could work the other way. It can long the stock and gets taken over, and that's just bonus. So I mean, it's you know bad luck that you're short a stock that gets taken over, and it was out of the blue. It wasn't even like it was rumored. And um, you know you just you know you move on. But if you have all your eggs in one basket and you're placing a bet on the long side, and your stock goes bankrupt, or on the short side and your stock gets taken over, worst case scenario really. I mean, you can lose a lot of money. You can lose a not and a lot of you know. But like it's take you a long time to make that up. So I don't like, you know, going all in on anything for those reasons. Now, do you typically use stops or your cause the way that I'm guessing your style of trading, you don't you don't. Yeah, no, I do. Um, it's probably not hard stops because I'm monitoring, I'm sitting here. But um, you know, some people would say and, and you know, from for me, um, you know, a lot of times I'll have 50 or 70 or 80 overnight positions, or I might, you know, have, you know, at the open, maybe I've got a bunch of positions. People are like, how do you manage that? How do you actively manage, you know, these short-term trades when you have that many? One, like for instance, I do a strategy, which was, uh, uh, which came from Don Bright, who passed away five years ago. Um, obviously Bob Bright founded Bright Trading, it's his brother. Don was excellent, learned a lot from him. He called it the OPG strategy, which is opening only strategy, where when a stock opens too high from its relative value where it should open, he shorts it. And when it opens too low, he buys it. I still employ that strategy and it works well. So he's basically enveloping where he feels the relative fair value should be. So sometimes you just get these crazy opens where stocks just open way too high relative to where they should be. So, you know, maybe I get short a whole pile of stock. What I immediately do if I get a short a whole pile of stock in the open, I'm looking at what's my overall net position. Maybe I hedge it with spot. So maybe I just grab and like hedge it right away because I'm trying to extract that alpha. I don't want the market to continue to go higher. And then I lose just because market's going up. My idea was to extract alpha from the inefficient opening where stock is opening too high relative to where it should open. But you know, if you get short all this and the market goes up to it, well, then your alpha is all gone. So you want to try to stay, you know, hedged in that strategy. But you know, the first thing I do when I get, you know, when we've got 50 or 60 or 70 positions and we have traders in our firm probably have 200, 300, 500 positions. First thing I do is I'm going to the losers. I mean, winners kind of look after themselves, but I'm looking, okay, what's kicking my butt and what can I minimize damage mm. on? So you're trying to minimize the damage on the losers while trying to like let the winners ride a little bit or maximize those gains on the winners. That's the whole play because you're going to be right and you're going to be wrong. There's nobody that's 100% right. There's nobody that's 100% wrong. It's how you, uh, how you do and how you manage your losers that will define your long-term success. That's another big takeaway that you just said right there, and I love that. Uh, um, you know, the, your winners will take care of themselves. I don't know how often traders will look at their P&L and they'll go, I'm losing in this position. They start to feel those losses. And what do they do? They start closing out their winning positions to try and make up for some of the yep. losses. And then they, they hang on to that hope that the loss will turn around instead of exiting the loss and cutting their losses and letting those winners run. That is a huge takeaway. Everyone that's listening right now, I hope you get that from what Dennis just said. That is, uh, yeah, there's some good stuff here. Thank you for that. I'm taking the exact opposite side of that trade. Mm -hmm. I'm taking the exact opposite side by cutting the loser and letting the winner run. They're cutting their winner short to finance their loser. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and obviously I've been successful for 22 years taking the opposite of that trade. And it's human nature to want to get your money back. Don't dare sell at a loss. It's human nature. So really as traders, once you have the discipline, you're already ahead of 90% of other people out there because they won't take a loss. Mm -hmm. 
Some people will absolutely refuse to take a loss. They take that stock to the grave with them. I mean, this is, you know, some obviously maybe not professional traders, but you're getting into, you know, you know, newer traders or long-term investors absolutely refuse to take the loss. The stock will eventually come back. I will eventually get my money back. They believe that with their soul. And in a lot of cases, they don't come back. You know, some cases they do and they're rewarded. And in a lot of cases they do come back. But in the cases that they don't, you take a stock from 50 to zero. I mean, how, you know, many gain, a little 10% gains you have to make up when you lose 100% on something. Mm -hmm. Equally weighted, it takes 10 of them. So, I mean, you got to be right 10 times and one time you're wrong. And the math isn't adding up for long-term success. So discipline is the number one thing, cutting the losers, realizing when you're wrong. How do you know when you're wrong? You start losing money. Now you have to have, you know, some, you know, you can't just say, oh, every time I lose a nickel on something, I'm going to sell, I get chopped out of everything. But, you know, it's about, you know, having your pricing points and feeling when the momentum's on your side. And if it all of a sudden starts going the other way, obviously your thesis was wrong. So I'm trying to always feel the momentum, feeling the pendulum swing. It's swinging all the time. Pendulum is swinging from, you know, the longs, it's in favor of the longs. Oh, now it's in favor of the shorts. You know, when you can time those swings and it goes the other way, those are very lucrative opportunities as well. But sometimes those swings can continue. You can just play along with those swings. Lots of momentum traders, very successful, just playing along and going with momentum. When you're fighting that momentum, which is natural human tendency as well, it's difficult trading. Well, I, I think even, even dollars and cents aside, if you sell all of your winners and you just have a whole portfolio of red losers, Yes, you're down financially, but what do you think that does to your psychology the next day when you want to place a trade? When you wake up every single day, you see big red yeah. leering over your your portfolio. It makes it very tough to uh, to start thinking more sensible. I think going forward from that point and just kind of moving Absolutely. on. Absolutely, yeah. The psychology game here and um, it is you know a huge aspects, and that just drains your mental capital. So it's not just draining your physical capital; it's draining your mental capital as well. The one thing that I do well on my day trading is I start fresh every single, so I have overnight trades and I've always been, I've always said from, and I've done this for the last 10 years, from 11 to two, it's chop hour. It's very difficult to really find inefficiencies and I'm more of an inefficiency trader. I don't trade 11 to two. And sometimes I've even moved that up where sometimes I'm out by 10 o'clock even, but I always in my day trading overnight accounts, my 24 hour account, I get to flat 100% cash, no matter what. No matter if I had a stock taken over, I go 100% cash in my day trading account, somewhere between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. every single day. So then I'm starting fresh. Mm. And then I come back to my account, you know, and start trading the close because I like trading the open. I like trading the close. I like trading after hours. I like trading pre-market. For the simple reasons, lots of inefficiencies there. And I like trade news. So, I mean, there's lots of, you know, inefficiencies in that too. So, I mean, so I'm I'm there, you know, and then I'm starting fresh and say 2.30, 3 o'clock if it's an FOMC meeting, maybe I'm starting a little bit earlier. Uh, but for the most part, I'm starting fresh every day. So I'm fresh. I don't have these losers to worry about. You know, yeah, maybe I have a long-term investing portfolio that's down in some stocks, but that's a different, that's not my bread and butter. You know, you're not worrying about that stuff. You never let a trade go from one account to the other. And, you know, this trading account is its own trading account and it's going to be at cash at least every single day. I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but it helps because then I'm starting with that fresh mental state that, okay, today is a new day. Yep. I, I highly yeah. encourage every Me single too. one, every, every single person in the mentor group, I, I, I tell them, I go, listen, it, whether you could do it all at once, whether you have to build out two accounts over time, whatever you, whatever you do, get to the goal of having those multiple accounts. Because I know for me, when I was first trading, it was all in the same account. I had long-term, I, I, I got to see the long-term be read every day. It was just horrible. Yeah, it's all mixed. It horrible. Can't separate um, it. Let me, 
let me ask you uh, we're, yeah, we're running out of time but let me ask you one more question uh for traders in, in your yeah. uh professional opinion what what do you think is a more valuable tool to have for a trader in the market would it be a big big dollar account or discipline what's what's a more valuable tool to have? discipline 100 percent discipline the dollar account will look after itself eventually you can slowly build it up i do say though if you're trying to be a professional trader, you're going to quit your day job, you know, and all of a sudden become a professional trader. Very difficult to do unless you've got some serious wealth. So that's why you've got to go. There's lots of prop firms out there. I'm not just going to pitch bright trading or stocktrading.com, but there's lots of other prop firms too, where you can come in with 50,000 and then get you up to a million bucks. I mean, you got a million dollars of trading capital. You can do something with that. You make 10% a year, made a hundred grand, make 20% on your money, make 200 grand. Make 40% of my money, make 400 grand. So you can see how, you know, having that leverage. You're trying to do this with a $10,000 account, make 100,000 a year. You're not going to make 1,000% every year. You're not, a, you know, you may be good, but those are unattainable numbers. So you're just not going to be able to do it. There's no way to make a living really with a $10,000 account. You might've did it in 2020. You might've even did it in 2021. You're probably getting punished in 2022 and finding out the hard way that I need to get my day job back. But you know you absolutely do need capital to do this on a full-time basis. But start small. You know, even if you decide, like I did, you know, back to 1999, I was at the professional trading firm, came in with the 50, up to a million dollars worth of capital I could have traded. But I didn't throw it all in right away. I didn't go all in because I was learning. You know, take your time to learn. Don't expect to come in as a professional trader and think you're going to just make money right away and you're smarter than all the other trading people who are out there and trading for years. I mean, it takes a long time. You've got to beat somebody else really to extract money from the markets. I mean, yes, as stocks go up, there's wealth created in the overall market, which gives a little bit of pie for everyone. But in the years that the market isn't going up, in order for you to be profitable those years, you've got to take it from somebody else. So there's a lot of smart traders out there. So you've got to be careful and you got to take your time to learn. So I would say discipline is the number one thing. And obviously, you know, um, you, you do need to be capitalized. So it is important to if you're looking to do this professionally to probably go to a prop firm where you can get some capital unless you're independently wealthy. Mm -hmm. Dennis, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. You have been a wealth of knowledge. I hope that our listeners have gained as much as I have from, from listening to you. Thank you so much. And for any of your contact information, all that stuff will be in the description below. So if anyone wants to reach out oh. to Dennis or to the to all of his stuff, it'll all be in the description below. So thank you once again. Greatly appreciate it. I just want, can I just pitch my or event? Yes. I do have one educational event, so I'm going to pitch it out here. Premarketprep.com. So um, which the pre-market show, if you go to premarketprep.com, we're doing on August 18th, we're doing an introduction to swing trading. So teaching you about swing trading with Joel Alcon, who I talked about, my mentor, Rob Friesen, who's president of Bright Trading, and myself, Spencer Israel is going to host it. And it's on August 18th at 12 o'clock. So you can sign up at premarketprep.com. So I'm going to pitch you. Absolutely. Uh, and the links will be in the, the description below. So you can check out that event down below. And if you guys are not listening to uh, Benzinga pre-market show, I highly, highly, highly recommend you guys do so. Make sure you guys catch it every catch it one time, catch it one time because it is addicting. Once you once you watch it once, you'll be back again. Well, so you. check it out one time. Um, I, I honestly I think it's better than most uh, TV stock market channels, just because um, there's a different take on it, especially for traders. There's not only the news but also ways to that 
at, at least to consider playing different different uh, strategies, different options on on doing that, and actually taking advantage of the news as opposed to just blindly listening to what other people say. But uh, again, Dennis Nick, appreciate having you on. Tracy, always great to host with you. Uh, Dennis, we'll have to get you back one time in the future because it's always a wealth of knowledge uh, that you just cannot cover in a short amount of time. But appreciate you coming in, and thank you guys Thanks for listening so much for each and every week. Too. The Pivot Podcast. We will have you guys next week.